Today's scripture reading is from 1 Peter 3. It can be found on page 10 of your bulletin, and it is also projected above behind me. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Kara. <clears throat> There's a, a song by Andrew Peterson. Uh, it's about marriage called Dancing in the Minefields. Some of you may know this song. Um, I thought this week if I had extra time, I'd try to write the version about preaching in the minefields. And um, I didn't get to it. Uh, but um, I have, I have in, in ways that maybe many of you have felt, maybe similarly, I've, I've felt my limits uh, this week and uh, certainly feel my limits coming to a passage like this. And so uh, we're gonna pray and ask Jesus to help us by his spirit. Um, so if you would do that with me, let's pray. Uh, Lord God, you are, you are kind in all that you do. Um, your word is truth and life to us. Lord, there are likely those who bristle at the words that were just read from your scriptures, those who feel deep hurt and pain, uh, those who are frustrated and angry. Uh, and Father, we just own all of that. Pray that you would, by your spirit, meet us where we are. Would we see Jesus as more beautiful and believable to us, that our hope in him would grow, that our trust in him would grow, that our confidence and love for you and love for our spouse, if we have one, and love for our neighbor would grow as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kids, a couple of things for you to be listening for uh, throughout the sermon. First one is the Princess Bride. Uh, the second one is uh, an illustration about drawing. Some of you are really good artists, so we're going to talk about drawing. And then the third one uh, is a word, uh, counterbalance. Uh, we're going to talk about what a counterbalance is. So, um, as we come to this passage, uh, I, again, recognize um, some of the difficulty here. And just want to say on, on the front end... Um, I think there's a ton of beauty in this passage. Uh, and we're gonna have to do some work, maybe, to get there. Or Jesus, by his spirit, is gonna have to do some work in our hearts uh, to get us there. But I am confident that God is faithful and uses his word. Here at Trinity, we 
often just preach through books of the Bible. And there are some passages that are just home run, easy. Jesus is clear and beautiful and it's awesome. And then there are some that use the S word, submit. And uh, we have to deal with that and figure out what that means. I was thinking all week of the Princess Bride, Inigo Montoya, right? The, you, you killed my father, prepare to die, that guy. Uh, one of his other lines that I love uh, is that you keep, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means, okay? And so that's uh, a little bit where we're going. As we try to think about what it means, Peter has been telling us from the beginning of this uh, letter uh, that we have been born again to a living hope. And that has changed everything about us. It's changed our relationships with God himself. It's changed our relationships with other believers, right? We're uh, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, right? A people chosen for God's possession. It's changed our relationship to the world in which we live. And that's sort of where Peter has been camped out these last few weeks. Our relationship to our culture is that of exiles, strangers, foreigners, sojourners. We, we don't fit. The, the way of Jesus is often upside down from the way of the world. And there's a real beauty in the way that God has uh, ordained life amongst his people to be. And in the gift of marriage, uh, certainly that is true. Uh, Christian marriages look different, and there's a real beauty to that, and uh, that is a good thing. Now, I even saying, talking about marriage, some of you long to be married, and you're not. And there's still a lot of wealth and riches in this passage for you today. Uh, as you think about what it looks like to interact with God's people, um, some of you have experienced really difficult marriages or loss of a spouse. Uh, some of you have gone through just the difficulties of divorce, and I know that there's a lot of, of uh, difficulties and heartbreaks uh, involved as you talk about marriage. I'm going to, um, as the associate pastor here and the one who helps oversee community groups, I'm going to just make a plug for you to lean in this week into your community group. If you have questions, if you're frustrated, um, it is, I would love to meet with you. Come, let's talk. But go find your community group and work through these things in, in your relationships with folks in your community group. We're going to look first at the example of Jesus, then implications for wives, implications for husbands, and then try to figure out how we get the strength to do what Peter is calling us to do. So, as we get into this, let's look. I think one of the most important words in this passage, it happens twice in verse one and verse seven, is the word likewise. Now, that might not have been in your top 10 of words, most important words that you would have picked out, but I think it's a really important one. And what it does is it connects us back into 1 Peter 2, where Peter has really been saying whether it's in a political sphere or in a, um, a you know, slave and master or employer-employee sphere or in marriage in our passage today, um, that, that we as Christians being born again into this living hope take on the character and likeness of Jesus. If you look back at 1 Peter 2, 
he says words like this in 2.21, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And then Brian went through this, this was uh, beautiful last week, going through the end of 1 Peter 2, looking at Isaiah 53, the, the suffering servant, uh, Jesus, the one who has taken on uh, the burdens of his people and suffers for us. He gives us an example for us to follow. That word example really is a, a, a drawing term. It's more, more like tracing. Some of you are artists, and that's amazing. I have zero ability. About the, the sum of what I can do, if you gave me a picture and a really thin piece of paper that I could put on top of it, I can pretty closely stay in the lines and trace that picture. And that's exactly the, the image that I want you to have as we think about what it looks like to be born again to a living hope. Peter is saying, Jesus has given us the picture. And what we are doing in our lives is tracing his image as we interact socio-politically, as we interact in the workplace, as we interact in marriage, we, are be, we our lives are that tracing as Jesus works by his spirit to make us look more like him, right? Do you guys have that image? That's what I want you to hold on to. And that is not just for wives who are supposed to submit. That's for everyone. Submission is Christian. It is a Christian norm, a biblical norm for the life of the believer is one of submission. How do we know that? Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who had all riches and all glory, submitted to the will of his Father and came to live the life that we couldn't and to die in our place and to be raised to new life for us, gathering a people to himself. He submitted to the Father. We, as the church, submit to Jesus. We put our lives down for his, right? That's the picture. In mutual submission, we live lives with one another. We love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. The passion and the drive and the desire that I have to take care of my own needs ought to be the equal desire to take care of yours. And actually, I'm gonna elevate your desires and put mine aside so that you will be taken care of. And the perfect example of that is marriage, where husbands and wives are called to mutual submission. Not, not forcibly, but as a gift. The gift that you give to your spouse is that mutual submission where you come together and you are one flesh, operating together as one unit, laying down your life for the other. There's a quote on the front of your bulletin uh, from Doug Webster, wrote a great book on 1 Peter called Outposts of Hope. And he says this, in all three spheres of life, political, social, familial, 
Peter lays down the principle of the cross, my life for yours. Regardless of the governing political, social, and gender ideologies, Peter attacks the world's principle, your life for mine. Peter refuses to fight culture at the ideological level, partly because of the utter futility of trying to change the human condition from the top down. He attacks it at the personal, practical level. He has nothing more to offer than street-level theology and kitchen table spiritual direction. But that is what gives his spirituality social impact. Whether the government is a democracy or a dictatorship, whether the economy is slave-based or capitalistic, whether society is patriarchal, patriarchal or egalitarian, Peter's social theory is not a product of his times, it is the fruit of the gospel of Christ. Friends, as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, your life, my life for yours becomes the regular pattern of your life. That's true for all of us, married, single, male, female, all of us, no matter who you are, if you are pursuing a Jesus who gave himself up for us, we're to lay our lives down for each other. Now, what do we do with this verse, these verses here for, uh, for wives? We'll take wives first, then we'll get to husbands. I'm gonna try to be quick, um, as quick as I can. Now, let me answer this question first. We're gonna try to do a lot of explanation. Again, try to, try to figure out some of these minefields. Some of you noticed that there are six verses dealing with wives <laughs> and one for husbands. And it feels like we're getting off light, um, that y'all are getting the brunt of, of the um, attention. And I would just say uh, that that's actually a beautiful thing, that Peter, in his letter, is raising up the most vulnerable in society in his day, in addressing slaves directly, in addressing wives directly, that was incredibly uncommon. And so Peter is being countercultural here in giving this attention. And so it may feel that you're getting heaped on. And I would just encourage you, if I could push a little, to say that this attention is actually Peter dignifying wives that he is giving great honor and acting out uh, some of what he's calling us to do in this passage, even as he writes this letter. Now, uh, what is Peter not saying? I think this is helpful too, okay? Uh, a, a pastor named Robert Green um, says this. Uh, what is Peter not saying? He is not saying that all women must submit to all men. Right? He says repeatedly that wives be subject to your own husbands. So it is, this is not a function of uh, inferiority, right? Where uh, all women are inferior and subject to all men. He is not saying that. He's not saying that wives have to abandon their faith in Jesus if your husband tells you to or if he asks you to. He's not saying that you have to sin against God or sin against your conscience if your husband tells you to. He's not saying that you always have to agree with your husband. The disagreement is disallowed. 
that you never get the chance to offer up a second opinion on a certain situation. He's not saying that you don't have a biblical resource if your husband is unfaithful or abusive. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you have to stay silent if your husband is physically abusive or incessantly humiliates you verbally. That is not what he's saying. So what is he saying? Peter is calling wives to give the gift of submission to their husbands. Paige Brown uh, is a women's ministry director, uh, Bible study teacher in Nashville. She's uh, amazing. And uh, she has used the, the word active enlistment to talk about submission that it is not this passive thing that's being forced upon you where you're being confined, but that you are actively enlisting, enrolling in this position. Peter is gonna say later on, wives are co-heirs of the, of the gospel, the co-heirs of eternal life. There is equality among male and female. We are both created in God's image with dignity and worth and value. And so when he talks about submission here, he's talking about a role, a gift that wives give to their husbands of this active enlistment. He goes on, another minefield. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, Peter is not saying that dressing up for church is bad, that braiding your hair or wearing jewelry, he's not saying that beauty is bad. Peter is a student of the Bible and knows that God is the source of all beauty. Peter is making the point here that beauty, outward beauty, is not the measure of your worth as a person. And then into his specific context, he's saying something else. Let me try to explain a little bit. Um, in this day, in Peter's day, it would have been very rare for women to go somewhere outside of the household without their husband. It also would have been very rare for a woman to have a different religion than her husband. She would have adopted in marriage the gods of her husband. And so what Peter is saying is when you come to church, like don't stop coming to church. If you, as a wife, are married to an unbelieving spouse, don't stop coming to church. But when you come, don't dress outwardly like you're available to other men. Dress in a way that maintains your commitment to your husband and your commitment to Jesus by attending worship. Does that make sense? So he's saying that the measure of your worth and value is not in uh, your dress size or your weight or um, the whatever jewelry you may or may not have, right? All of that. He's saying that it's important for you to grow inwardly and to have the beauty 
a, a beautiful character, one that is gentle and a quiet spirit. Th- these are not necessarily even just feminine qualities, right? Jesus says, right, take my yoke upon you for I, I am gentle, right? And so there are, uh, as you grow, women, you are growing in beauty in your character, Peter's vision of beauty is not simply outward, but it's in line with Jesus, our suffering servant who gave up himself. And beauty looks like looking more like him. It's natural for him to talk about beauty here because of that. It is beautiful when wives submit willingly to their husbands because that's the model of Jesus for us. And so grow in that beauty, the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, so that if your husband is unbelieving, he may see the beauty of the gospel and commend it himself. He may come to believe. There's an evangelistic component, wives, to your submitting to your unbelieving husband. Um, It is helpful. have benefited a lot from Karen Jobes. She's a professor at Wheaton College and has written just the best commentary on First Peter that exists. She's fabulous and have leaned heavily too on our women's shepherding team folks. And I think it's helpful here to just say, wives, if you're in a position where you're married to an unbelieving spouse, that, that can be a really difficult and isolating thing. And I would just encourage you to come talk to us. Come talk to someone in leadership. Talk to one of the women on the women's shepherding team. Um, There is a real community and love for you um, and support to help you as you walk in love, in submission to your unbelieving husband. Um, And so... the point that Peter is making, and hopefully that you're hearing and, and be encouraged by, is that following Jesus in, in whatever context, whether it is with an unbelieving spouse or with a harsh boss or with a government, uh, maybe government officials that are really difficult, that as we submit, that people will see the beauty of the gospel. They'll see Jesus for who he really is through your conduct and come to know him for themselves. Peter goes on, he doesn't stop there. Wives, he gives this slightly strange example, another minefield, um, talking about uh, the wives' heritage in the gospel. These converts to Christianity have, a new, have new ancestral heritage. Sarah, Abraham's wife, is now their ancestor, right? They are daughters of Sarah. And so Peter uses this example about how the women of old uh, used to submit, obey, used to submit to their husbands. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, this story, it only happens once in the, in the Genesis narrative. It's Genesis 18, 12, if you want to go look at it. It's a time where Sarah is laughing and thinking to herself, and we're reading her thoughts. And she refers in that moment to Abraham as her Lord. So this is not 
a command for wives to call their husbands Lord, right? This is not a prescriptive Old Testament story that that should, that should be how we get treated, right? It is a title of honor that Sarah is using um, when she thinks of Abraham. Now, how does this story help us? If you remember, Abraham was called by God to go to a land that he did not know and to follow. And that takes a ton of courage. And Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness, and he followed. And you know who else was super courageous in that story? Sarah, who courageously submitted to her husband and followed him, obeying him. As as he follows God, she follows him. Get it? Incredibly courageous. That's the example that Peter gives for wives. Okay, have to move very quickly. Uh, Let's think husbands here just for a second and then we'll wrap up. Verse seven, likewise husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Only a few minefields in this one verse, but let's see what we can do. Um, Husbands, what are you called to do? Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor. Now, this is just a, maybe not a throwaway. Brian Habig, a pastor in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, um, made this point, and I think it's super helpful. Um, It is not a small thing to say that husbands should live with their wives. If you are married to the road or married to your job, um, it can sort of feel like you may just hang your clothes up and lay your head on a pillow in your house with your wife. And I would just say to you uh, that this is a good moment, I think a Holy Spirit moment for you to check your own heart to say, is, is that worth it? Is that the right, am, do I have the right balance between work and family if I am married to my job and my family comes second. Now, there are certainly obligations to our employers and we wanna be faithful in our work. And so that is a conscience, um, a spirit-led conversation in your own heart, in your own marriage. But I think it's important to say, husbands are called to live with their wives and to live with understanding. You are to live Um, One pastor put it this way, you're to get a PhD in your wife. You are to know her. You are to know everything about her. You are to pursue her and honor and dignify her in every way that you can. Right, if you know sort of the glance across the room and you've you've had a whole conversation just from one sort of side eye look at each other, you know exactly what's going on, right? You grow in those moments where you understand your wife. Not just that, you show her honor as a weaker vessel. Now, what do we mean weaker vessel? Uh, Let me try to do this very quickly. It certainly cannot be uh, intellectual, right? Weaker, women are weaker intellectually. (laughs) That is definitely not true. All the women are like, yep, we know, we we already knew that. You're not telling us anything we didn't already know. Uh, It's certainly not emotional. 
You think about emotional strength. Um, it is not just emotional, even spiritual sometimes, right? Um, the, the, Peter is referring to physical characteristics. Women are typically weaker in their stature and frame than men. And uh, that becomes an issue, husbands, because of the society in which we live and Peter was writing into. Both of them um, put women at a disadvantage. Women are uh, paid less. Women are maybe listened to in a different way, not respected in the same way. And so when you tie that sort of societal um, inferiority that comes with a physical superiority of husbands, it puts us in a dangerous dynamic where husbands can begin to treat their wives as inferior. And we have to be extremely careful never to do that. One pastor calls this a revolutionary counterbalance that our role as husbands is to be a counterweight to the way that society would treat women. If women, if women are put down in our society, husbands, we're to elevate our wives. We are to dignify them at every turn. You are never, never to lay hands on your wife in anger. You are never to degrade her demand from her, you elevate and honor and dignify her in every way that you can. You live with her with understanding, showing honor whenever you're able. Why? Because they are co-heirs with us of eternal life, equal in image before God, image bearers, carrying his likeness his beauty, his dignity and value and worth. And also, the last minefield, so that your prayers won't be hindered. This is not punishment, right? Jesus took all of our punishment, like legal punishment. But there is something happening here. Husbands, if you can't love and dignify and honor your wife, your prayers don't get heard. And I don't have a great sort of theological explanation on how all of that works technically, like sometimes they work and sometimes they don't, but it is a good place for you to check your heart, for you to be able to say, I want to love the person closest to me in this Christ honoring way, and in that my prayers are heard. And if I'm unable to love the person closest to me in that sort of Christ-honoring way, I need to know that my prayers are hindered. So husbands, love your wife. Live with her with understanding, showing honor, elevating, dignifying her whenever you can. Now, two things as we close. The first is this, some of you may feel like you are in a really difficult spot in your marriage. If there's abuse, physical abuse, you seek help, 
come talk to us. We're here for you, the church is here for you. We can get you connected with whoever you need to get connected with. We love you, we don't ever want that to happen. The Bible is firmly against all of that and so are we. And so come, let us help you in that situation. Husbands, if you need help, come, talk to us. We love you. We want to be here for you. And lastly, how do we do this? Uh, Brian Habig says again, it's so good. Some of you are sitting there thinking, well, marriage was never, this has not turned out the way that I thought it would. My marriage is a huge disappointment. I have a disappointing husband. And he says, if you feel like you have a disappointing husband, that's the same thing as saying you have a husband. Right, if you have a boss that is really harsh, right, from 1 Peter 2, if you say you have a disappointing work relationship, that is the same thing as saying you have a work relationship, that you have an employer. If you're frustrated and angry about how local politics or federal politics or state or whatever, if you're frustrated and you say, I'm so disappointed in, in the way the government is working, it means that you are under a government, right? That is the life in which we live. And it's hard. And we lean into Jesus in those moments, knowing that submitting to our husband or living with and loving and showing honor to our wife, not because they're worth it, although they are created in God's image and his, uh, with dignity and value, but we look through them to Jesus who is our example. He's not just our example, he's our strength. He is the one who gives us the grace. As we have received mercy, we're able to give that mercy away. We need Jesus's help, we need his reminder of his mercy, we get to come to his table now. Let's pray. Lord God, you are gracious. You're merciful, we need more of you. And so would you feed us Help us to love you with all of our heart, to submit to you as our Lord. Help us to submit to our spouse. Help us to grow in grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.